Go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. That's nice. Everybody ready for Christmas? There, there are two very polar different kind of reactions. There are the people who say, got everything under control, presents are bought, everything's wrapped, trees up, decorate, it's all good, we're just waiting. And then there are the people with petrified looks on their faces that say, 11 days, 10 days, oh no, what's going to go on? Um, if you're here for the first time, these are welcome books going around. Uh, if you, everybody signs those, and that way we can send you a letter and say thanks for coming. Uh, that's, that's a great thing. Um, just want to do a quick um, um, advisement. How's that? Um, th- we're talking the Christmas story this morning. And if you've got little guys that are in here rather than in um, in uh, Timbertown or Kids World, this may be a good Sunday to have them check that out. Or you may be having a conversation that you weren't quite ready to have yet. Um, everybody got that? Cool. Okay, that's that's fine. Not anything explicit, but just just want to give you a heads up so that we're there and there together. Um, I need a volunteer from the audience, someone who is like Rock'em Sock'em on Christmas movies. Anybody know every Christmas movie they ever made? Uh, no, we're not going to go Balo. He's up, he's up and up. Christy? No? Oh. I need a volunteer. I'll volunteer. Uh, Marcy, come on up. I'll give you a hug. How's that? There we go. This is Marcy Westenberg. Everybody say, hey, Marcy. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a game. I'm going to give you my top 10 movies, or you're going to give me my top 10 Christmas movies. But I'm going to make it easier on you because I'm going to give you number 10 through number 6 so you have a sense of kind of where my heart is and that kind of stuff. Uh, disclaimer, we're not going to go to the action, adventure, dark. Uh, um, can I phone a friend? You can phone a friend. Yes, you can get, you can get help. Um, so uh, my, I'm, I'm going to give actually my top 10, but uh, an honorable mention, number 11, okay? This I watched for the first time two weeks ago with my son and my wife, and it's been a favorite in our house, but I had never seen it before. I'll be home for Christmas with Jonathan Taylor Thomas. You saw that. Good. Okay. That's not typically on most people's list, but I'll just throw that in. Number 10 for me, Miracle on 34th Street. Not the one that was made in the 90s, but the black and white one, the, the good one. Okay. Number nine. Number nine. Charlie Brown Christmas. Linus. Fear not. Uh, what's that? Well, because when you get in the top ten, it gets pretty tough. Charlie Brown Christmas for me is number nine. Number eight is the Santa Claus. And I, I actually one and two, but not three. But we'll, we'll put those two together. <laughs> Um, number seven, the Grinch, Jim Carrey. That's it's, it's, it's in my top. These are my top 10. Okay. Number six, me, me, Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer, Yukon Cornelius, nothing. All right. 
Good stuff. Good stuff. So with those, with those uh, leading in, give me what you think my number five is. Any ideas? The little drummer boy. <clears throat> no. The Polar Express. Nope. Frosty the Snowman. Christmas Story. I don't like that movie. <laughs> it's my list. The Christmas Story. Not the a Christmas Story. A Christmas Story. A Christmas. Ralphie, Red Rider, BB Gun. <laughs> Got to be there. Number four. Did I already say it? No. It's one word. Short word. Elf. Elf wins. Number four. Okay, good. And uh, number three, and this is the this is the hardest one on my list. This is not one that's typically on most people, but um, no, not um, no, not going there. Sandra Bullock. Nope. <laughs> there is Christmas in it, but that's not a Christmas movie like this one. While you were sleeping, this feel-good movie. If you haven't watched that, that's a great movie. Number two. It's a wonderful Not yet. Number two. White Christmas. Yeah, and then my. Yes, thank you very much. Give it up for Marcy. What a, what a wonderful time of year when you can watch Hallmark nonstop, when you can, uh, you have all these movies that you have to watch. A great, great thing. What is it? I, you know, I, I was looking this week. What's the number one Christmas music? music? What's the number one Christmas movie of all time? It depends what list you go to because some people have like Bad Santa as their number one movie. Nah. It's a Wonderful Life is on most lists the, the, the greatest Christmas movie of all time. And some people would say it's the greatest movie of all time. Why is that? I think it's because we all can relate to George Bailey, right? We all have this sense of we have these dreams about what we're going to do with our lives, where our lives are going to take us, uh, what it's going to be. And, and we miss this sense of interconnectedness. We, you know, we, we, we think, does my life really matter? You know, if I'm not here, is there going to be any vacuum? Is there going to be anything any different? Um, it's a wonderful life. George Bailey takes us to that place. And uh, I just, just want to give you a sense of that as we take a trip to Bedford Falls. Made up your mind yet? I'll take chocolate. With coconuts? I don't like coconuts. You don't like coconuts? Say, brainless. Don't you know where coconuts come from? Look at here. From Tahiti, the Fiji Islands, the Coral Sea. A new magazine. I never saw it before. Of course you never. Only us explorers can get it. I've been nominated for membership in the National Geographic Society. Is this the year you can't hear on? George Bailey, I'll love you till the day I die. I'm going out exploring someday. You watch. And I'm going to have a couple of harems and maybe three or four wives. Wait and see. You wouldn't consider coming back to the building alone, would you? Well, I... I... Well, Annie, why, why don't you draw up a chair? Then you'd be more comfortable and you could hear everything that's going on. 
I would if I thought I'd hear anything worth listening to. You would. I know it's soon to talk about it. No, no, Pop, I... I couldn't. I, I couldn't face being cooped up for the rest of my life in a shabby little office. No, I'm sorry, Pop. I didn't mean that. I, but I... It, it's this business of nickels and dimes and spending all your life trying to figure out how to save three cents and like the pipe. I go crazy. I, I want to do something big and something important. You know, George, I feel that in a small way we're doing something important. It's satisfying a fundamental urge. It's deep in the race for a man to want his own roof and walls and fireplace. And we're helping him get those things in our shabby little office. I know, Pop. I, I know that. I... I... I wish I felt that uh, I've been hoarding pennies like a miser here in order to... Most of my friends have already finished college. I, I just feel like if I didn't get away, I'd bust. Now, you listen to me. I don't want any plastics, and I don't want any ground floors, and I don't want to get married ever to anyone. You understand that? I want to do what I want to do. And you're... And you're... That's the section that the PG warning was for at the beginning of the message. <laughs> Not really. Uh, we all connect with George Bailey, right? We have these plans of what our life is going to look like. When you get to the end of the movie, when he's at his moment of despair, he has this sense that everything that he had hoped for and dreamed for hasn't materialized and, and is life worth living. We're going to go there in a little bit from our passage of Scripture because there's this concept for us in this character of Christmas we're going to look at today that connects to George Bailey with the dreams that, that weren't materialized, that life ended up looking radically different. Go to Matthew chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. As, as you leave, go out to the... To the uh, area just outside the doors and at one of the booths there we have a a bible that we would love to give you where you can take notes you can write in it put your name in it that kind of thing um we're we're talking today about the character in the christmas story named joseph starting in verse 18 of matthew chapter one uh let me, if you were here at the very beginning of the service, we, sh- we showed a video that had all of the begats, all of the genealogy, and, um, and it talks about how each person was born from another person. And in verse 18, it actually, in the original language, says, but here's something different, and, this is, and then this is what it says. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ is different than the rest. It took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. 
When you look at the story of Joseph from Matthew 1, one of the things that you notice is it spends the first 17 verses talking about who he is in context, what his history is, what his genealogy is. You know, in in our world, um, it seems like every family has somebody who's the expert in the genealogy of their family, right? Somebody who, who maps things back as far as they can, and everybody kind of takes advantage of that. And we all have this sense of um, we want to find somebody famous in our in our background, in our line. Right. Well, when you look at Joseph's his background, he's a descendant of David. It goes all the way back to Abraham, 42 generations that are there. There are some famous people there, but there there are some folks in there, too, that are that are nobodies that we don't know anything at all about. When you understand where you've come from, all of a sudden it gives some context to the decisions that you make and to who you are. Um, my wife's mother, her maiden name was Aikman. And um, uh, long story short, Deb is like eighth or tenth cousins to Troy Aikman, who used to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. That's, that's a big deal, right? You want her autograph, you go talk to her afterwards. She's related to Troy Aikman. Um, everybody knows some people who, uh, somebody famous that they're related to. For me, when we've studied the rubles back, it, um, you're able to track back to, um, to Revolutionary War time. And, um, and the, coolest, the coolest person in my background that I can think is that in the Revolutionary War, there was a chaplain named Elijah Ruble that served with George Washington. That's a pretty incredible thing. He was at Valley Forge, one of my, one of my ancestors. Our ancestors, our, our context of who we are helps define and shape who we are. And for Joseph, it was important because he was a descendant of David. And the prophecies had said that the Messiah would come from the line of David. Uh, Matthew goes to great lengths to just show who that is. Now, let me just put a pause there and say this. For some of you, when you think about your spiritual heritage, your spiritual genealogy, you can look back and you know stories that maybe go back some generations um, because you live in this umbrella of faith that has gone back. If that's your story, man, treasure that and do everything that you can to preserve that. In college, I remember praying. I was at a camp. And I'd been studying about Abraham and Isaac and, and, and the prayers in the Old Testament where, you know, you're the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and on down through. And I remember being outside and praying, God, you are my God. You're the God of my father, Bob Rubel. You're the God of my grandfather, Floyd Rubel, and my grandmother, Blanche Rubel. You're the God of my, my um, grandmother's parents, the poems and the gossips and, and, and praying back through that and just looking at that context in terms of how, how my faith had grown in this garden of history of people who had followed Jesus. If that's your story and treasure that and communicate that to your kids because it helps shape who they are and the context of, of the purpose of their life. On the other hand, you may be the first person in your family, to choose to follow Jesus. And that's an incredible blessing as well because you have the ability to all of a sudden make a change in terms of the direction and the pattern of your big-picture family 
to turn back to Jesus. In 20 years or 40 years or 60 years or 200 years, if Jesus tarries, if Jesus doesn't come back first, you have the ability to, to be the person that they look back on and say, boy, when my grandfather, when my grandfather chose to follow Jesus, everything changed. Our history as a family changed. It was heading one direction and went a different direction because of this person, my grandfather, my grandmother, my dad, my mom, whatever. Um, if that's you, boy, communicate the story of Jesus because that gives context to everybody who follows you. That was the story of Joseph. Joseph could look back and trace his lineage back up through David, all the way back to Abraham. Scripture says, Matthew 1, says that Joseph was just, is what the ESV says. Um, the, the, uh, the New American uses the word righteous. The NIV uh, uses the word upright. Amplified says faithful to the law. There's this picture of Joseph that he was this righteous guy, that... Um, that that he did what was right. Um, right. Understand that righteousness is a condition of the heart that's evidenced in our behavior. Let me say that again. Righteousness is a condition of our heart that's lived out in our behavior. For most of us, we think, you know what? I want to follow God. I, w- I want to live a righteous life. I want to do the right thing. And so we begin to curb our behavior and shape our behavior to look like righteousness. But if the behavior is the place that we start, we're never going to be righteous because righteousness is a condition of the heart. It's what's inside. It can only happen because Jesus came to earth and changed us, because he died for us. Joseph and Mary, um, as, we, as we work through the story, Joseph and Mary are betrothed. Bet- betrothal is different than engagement. In, in our culture currently, when you're engaged, that's a big deal. Um, my kids will never listen to this. Um, I think I'm going to have a conversation this Christmas with daughter number four's boyfriend. Somebody yesterday um, encouraged me to have the guns out when that happens. Um, We're not going to go there. The betrothal was different than engagement, okay? Engagement in our culture, you can walk away from engagement and, and there's money lost, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's not traumatic. We even make movies about runaway bride, you know, all these broken engagements. In this culture, when you were betrothed, when you were engaged in that sense, it was a huge deal. And to break that off involved a certificate of divorce. It was just like being married. It cut the ties. And, and typically when a woman was was uh, had a broken engagement, she probably was never going to get married for the rest of her life. It, you know, it, it was a significant deal. Joseph and, and Mary are betrothed. And, and here is, I think, the timeline. As I was studying this weekend and just seeing how all these pieces fit, here's what I think happened. I think that the angel comes to Mary. We, we just kind of touched on that last week. In, um, in Luke 1, the angel comes to Mary and in a dream says to Mary, hey, you're pregnant and the, ch- the child that's growing inside you is from the Holy Spirit. Um, and Mary says, you know, do it to me as, as you will. I, I'm God's servant. I don't understand this. The angel says, you know what? You're going to know that because your cousin Mary, who's been barren all of her life, is, is now pregnant. So Mary, after that dream goes to see 
Elizabeth, her cousin Elizabeth, and Zachariah, stays with them for three months. Mary and Joseph are betrothed at this point in time. They've got the engagement thing going on, but Mary takes off and goes. And again, just think through what that looked like in that time. No, no phones, no Skype, you know, uh, none of that stuff for communication. They may have sent messages back and forth. That Joseph may even have come to visit, but we don't know that for sure. But there's this sense that Mary's there with Elizabeth and with Zechariah for three months. She comes back, and when she comes back, through some process at that point in time, Joseph understands that Mary is pregnant. It could have been that when Mary comes back and Joseph sees her, he looks at her and he knows. Baby bump, whatever, she's at least through the first trimester at that point in time. It may be that physically he can tell. It may be that, that he, he doesn't catch on to that, but Mary has this conversation and says... Joseph, you need to know I'm pregnant. I had this dream, angel. It's from God. I, I didn't mess around. It's, it's from God. And Joseph is thinking, yeah, right. And it says that Joseph was a just man and that he wanted to put her away quietly. He wanted to go through the divorce process to separate himself from her. But to, but to not do it in a real public way that drug her through the mud. Understand that Joseph had the ability, according to, to the law, Deuteronomy 22, Mary's pregnant, not his baby. Joseph had the ability, assuming obviously that she had fooled around, to take her outside the city and with the city leaders to stone her to death, to have her executed because of her promiscuity, uh, her, her supposed promiscuity. Um, Joseph... As a just man, doesn't want to do that. He just wants to kind of separate from there. Goes to bed that night. He's thinking about what he needs to do to make everything go as smoothly as possible. His, you know, his world's been turned upside down. And that night, he has this dream. Angel appears to him, says, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's going to bear a son. You'll call him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. The the angel comes and says, it's okay to marry Mary. Uh, He says, she's going to have a baby. It's going to be a baby boy. You're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save the people from their sins. We talked last week about the importance of names, that um, in Jewish culture, there was this concept that names communicated a ton. And so this name, Jesus, means Savior. Um, it's, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, it's, it's the same root word as the name Joshua, Josiah. There's all that sense of, of salvation that comes through that name. It, and the salvation that it implies is it really is this sense of rescue that, that happens, that, it would, that this Savior would keep them safe physically, that he would protect them, and he would rescue them from the world that they're in. I don't know if you pay any attention or not, but there's um, to politics. Uh, there's a, an election in February in Chicago for the mayor of Chicago. And um, when I was reading through the scripture, I thought this, this is kind of interesting. Um, the two people who are running for mayor in Chicago are uh, one is a guy named Jesus Garcia, Jesus Garcia. And he's running against Rahm Emanuel. 
Okay? The Matthew quotes Isaiah that says you're going to call him Emmanuel, God with us. So in Chicago, you've got a choice between Jesus and Emmanuel to decide who's going to be the savior of Chicago, right? Uh, just kind of an interesting deal in terms of the names that are there. Um, Joseph has this dream. The angel says, Mary's going to have a baby. Name him Jesus. He's the savior. And Joseph wakes up and begins to obey the message from the angel. Um, understand the importance when we hear from God of obeying him. For most of us, I think, when we hear from God, it automatically starts this questioning process. And that's not what happened with Joseph. He heard from God and began to obey. They get married. I, I, I think that they probably got married as quickly as possible. I think Joseph understood the message from the angel. And, um, and, and so he began to think, how do we take care of this to, to stay as much under the radar as we can? You know, if we get married right away, she's three months pregnant, maybe four months pregnant. Maybe some people won't pay that much attention. And, and there's a way to just kind of go through that process. But the angel says, Mary, Mary, and, um, and Joseph does. The last line in there that's kind of interesting is that it says that they didn't have any sexual relations until after um, after Jesus was born. That's kind of an interesting thing that they would that Matthew would throw into the story. But I think it speaks to the character of Matthew or it speaks to the character of Joseph. We'll, t- we'll talk about uh, that more just in a little bit. I want to share three takeaways for us uh, um, out of the story of Joseph, out of the character of Joseph. First is this, Joseph was willing to give up his plans in order to obey God. Joseph was willing to give up his plans for his life in order to obey God. What were, what were Joseph's plans? Put yourself in his place trying to jump in the middle of the story. Joseph culturally is probably somewhere um, 30, 35 years old or older. Some people believe that he was widowed, that he was significantly older. Um, we know probably that in the context of culture, in order for a man to get married, he had to be financially secure and had to have a a business, a a trade that he could use to support his family. He had to have a home before he would get married. So we, we figured that Joseph was somewhere 30, 40, potentially older. And Mary was probably a teenager, a, a young girl that was there. Because Joseph was at that stage and ready to get married, he had business skill, and he probably had good skill. The word that's translated carpenter, um, we understand now from uh, greater literature that it does mean carpenter, but it could also mean stonemason. Joseph was the guy who was skilled with his hands. He was able to do things with his hands to build things, and you know that he was a highly skilled craftsman and businessman. Because God wouldn't choose to put his son, his, his son in the hands of an earthly father that cut corners at work, that, was, that did shoddy workmanship, that wasn't a, a, a good worker in terms of his professional skill. God placed him in the hands of Joseph. We know that Joseph had to, had to be a skilled, hard worker, a reliable person, a person whose word um, was his bond. Joseph, what were his plans? He, uh, he, he, had, he was prepared to get married. He's, he has this plan to marry this beautiful young girl. 
Um, scripture never says anything about the external appearance of Mary. But when you begin to read about her, when you read about her from Luke 1, when, when you read about um, her interaction with Jesus, you know that she was this winsome, winsome young person who loved God and accepted him at his work. Beautiful gal. Joseph has in his mind what life is going to be like as he spends it with Mary. Um, I think that Joseph anticipated that he was going to have a house full of kids. That, you know, that they were going to have this, this, it was going to be this great place. He was going to work. He was going to come home at night. Everything was going to be cool. I think he anticipated that he was going to have a good business. Um, some scholars believe that Joseph and Mary settled in Nazareth because of its proximity to a, a city called Sepphoris that the Romans had destroyed in about 3 BC. They began to rebuild. Sepphoris was a major city. Nazareth was a small town. Nazareth uh, probably had less than 400 people who lived in Nazareth. Nazareth was built on a hill, and the, the homes were not homes in the way that we think it, of it. They were homes that were carved out of the rock. So they were caves, essentially, two-room caves that people lived in. If you go to Israel, you can see what those look like. They've excavated some of those things. When I was in Israel, uh, the guys that I was with were talking about Nazareth as we're there. It looks obviously very different now, but when you begin to look at some of the archaeology and, and make sense of it, Nazareth was, it was essentially a trailer park community. It, it was a, a place for people that didn't have much money. They're building their house out of the rock. It was isolated. It was small town. Everybody knew everybody. It was that kind of community. Sepphoris, on the other hand, was about three miles away. You could walk it in an hour, and it was a place that was full of industry. Joseph, as a carpenter or potentially a stonemason, could get work in Sepphoris that would support his family that probably wouldn't be available in Nazareth. Joseph anticipated this life that was going to look good, he had a good business, good opportunity, able to, able to do his, um, his work that way. Joseph's choice to obey the angel and to marry Mary meant the destruction of all of his plans for what life was going to look like. It was that tension that we saw in George Bailey of, you know, I've got these plans of what life is going to look like, but if I make this decision, everything is going to be different. That was the case for, for Joseph. His business life was going to be impacted dramatically from this marriage with this, with this woman who is pregnant and not yet his wife. Because he lives in a small town. And what self-respecting Jew is going to give business to a guy who was either fooling around with his wife ahead of time or his wife was fooling around behind his back before they were married? Think about the, the way people talk in a small town. Joseph's decision to obey the angel was going to impact his business relationships. It's going to impact his family and community relationships. Think about what would happen if your son or daughter came home from college and said, um, pregnant, but it's not what you think. It's from this baby's from God. The conversations that you would have at that point, even if you trusted them completely, you'd think, you know what? Somebody's not telling the truth. And the impact to those family relationships, the impact to the relationships within the community you would think, you know what, Joseph can't even be honest with himself. They were either fooling around ahead of time, and he won't own up to that. Or Mary was fooling around, 
And Joseph won't admit that. He's got this story that he's telling. Um, it, the decision to marry Mary, to obey God, impacted those relationships in an incredible way. It ultimately impacted his reputation, I think, hugely. The perception in the community is Joseph is either a womanizer or Mary is a woman of ill repute. You know, Joseph can't tell the truth. He's lost his credibility. Um, he, Joseph was willing to give up his plans in order to obey God, but he was also willing to give up his reputation in order to obey God. Think about that. That's an incredible thing. His plans, his reputation. Joseph even was willing to give up his personal desires, the things that he wanted personally in order to obey God. Joseph chose not to have any kind of sexual relations with Mary until after Jesus was born. Um, The fact that scripture mentions that, I think, makes it significant. Joseph chose to put um, to put constraints on himself in a relationship that he didn't have to have those constraints because he understood the big picture. He understood that the angel said, this, this child is from God. And Joseph said, I don't want to get in the way of that at all. Joseph gave up his personal desires. We don't have record, we don't have record that the angel told him to do that, but it seems like Joseph, in his righteousness, in the condition of his heart, he got that and lived it out. He understood the power of God, the magnitude of what was going on. In, in um, Matthew 7, in Mark 6, where we talked about in the last series, there's scriptures that talk about Mary and the brothers and sisters of Jesus, his family, other kids that came on after that. Um, Mary was not celibate all of her life, I don't think, from what scripture teaches. Um, there's theology that says that, but I don't think that makes sense. Ultimately, Mary and Joseph had, had a lot of kids. They, they experienced that together, but after Jesus was born. Some questions for you. How important is your reputation to you? Your, your character is who you are, but your reputation is what people think of you. How important is your reputation versus your character? Are you willing to give up your reputation to follow Jesus? Are you willing to give up your reputation in order to have the right kind of relationship with God? How important is your business, your professional career? How important is success to you? Are you willing to give that up in order to have the right kind of relationship with God? What are you willing to give up so that that can be primary, so that, so that you can have the relationship with God that he desires with you? The question, I think, for us is, did Joseph, did Joseph receive more than he gave up? If you start thinking about the big picture of things, about what Joseph's life looked like, because it ended up looking very differently than he had imagined. Joseph's reputation was probably poor for the rest of his life. All of his life, there were probably people whispering, people that didn't forget what had happened before they got married. But 2,000 years later, here, we're talking about the character of Joseph. Short-term loss, loss of his life, 
in terms of reputation. And yet over the course of history, there's this look back at him to say, you know, here was a guy with stellar, incredible character that God chose to be the father of his son on earth. Um, Joseph's business world, his, his business relationships suffered, I'm sure, as a result of his decision to, to uh, marry Mary. Um, and yet, there, there's a trade-off in that. Yeah, we, we say a lot, no one on their deathbed ever regrets, ever says, oh, if I had only done one more deal, if I only had more money in the bank, if I only had spent more time in the office. When, when people are, are ready to leave this earth, they're thinking about the relationships that, that they had. And I think that Joseph, as he was dying, I think that, that he treasured his relationship with, with his wife, with Mary, with his other kids, um, but I think as he was dying, he, ha- he had this sense of, I cannot believe that God chose me to be the one to run with and play with and teach the, his son here on earth. Was the trade-off worth it? Absolutely. What Joseph got back was far more than he gave up. Even though he had this picture of what life was going to look like, quiet life, successful business, a nice family, staying out of trouble, that was not what his life looked like. But it was completely worth it. I want to give you just four things as, as, as we finish up to just maybe write down, to contemplate, to kind of think through. Lessons from the life of Joseph, character of Christmas. God does his best work when we aren't in control. God does his best work when we aren't in control. You can look at that and think, I agree with that. And yet, for almost all of us, we try and do everything that we can to have control of our life. To shape and discern every decision that we make so that everything works in our order of things. God does his best work when we aren't in control. Second thought. God does his best work when we obey him. It would have been so easy for Joseph to wake up the next morning and think, Oh man, that was a crazy dream. I've been worrying about what to do with Mary. And I had this dream of an angel. And walk away from that. But he chose to obey. God does his best work when we choose to obey him. God does his best work when we care more about God's agenda than our reputation. To me, out of this, out of this whole message, that piece for me has been one that, that I've just I've wrestled with. Because I care what people think about me. I want you all to love me. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's the way you live or not. But God does his best work when we care more about God's agenda than our reputation. God's best work is redemption. The whole reason why Jesus came to earth, the whole reason why we have this picture in our mind of the manger and the stable of Mary and Joseph 
is so that God could redeem us, so that God could bring us back into relationship with him, so that God had the ability to forgive our sins. What a crazy thought that is, that the path that God would choose would be to conceive a child inside the body of a woman to bring that child to earth fully God and fully man to die for us. Take a look on screen.
message of Christmas isn't really about the stable. It's not really about the baby in the manger. It's about the cross. Jesus came to earth to redeem us. God's best work is redemption. If you haven't experienced that, if you don't know him, and Christmas is such an incredible time to experience new birth and new life. If you know him, but you find yourself drifting, and I think the character of Joseph is such a great person to bring us back into track, to help us realize it is not about our dreams. It's about God. It's not about our relationships. It's about God. It's not about what we expect and our reputation. It's about God. Jesus came to save us and to change everything. I'll just invite you as we sing to, to do business with God, to let him talk to you about maybe some places that you've drifted and maybe it's, maybe it's to start this process of what a, a journey with him looks like. Um, if you don't know how to do that, find me, find one of the elders or life group leader or one of the leaders here to talk to you about what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus. We want to do that. Feel free to come up and, and pray and just let God do his work as we sing. Let's stand together and sing.